Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. God the Father of all men, ruler of all nations, master of the universe, Lord of all creation, can it be that we are the people of the Psalm 30 is one of these psalms that speaks about the great transformation that can happen whenever we come face to face with God and whenever we choose to follow God. And I want us to listen to everything that Psalm 30 can teach us. So let's hear it together. Psalm 30. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you heard me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord. You, his faithful people, praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Take my heart, uh, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Notice how this talks about it whenever we have come in contact with God, this transformation that can happen in our lives. Notice some of these contrasts that are mentioned throughout the book about restoring our life. I mean, God is our life. That is so important, isn't it? And then his favor, it 
um, is for a lifetime. That contrast about also like his anger. Yes, God does get angry, but it's not as long as what we might think in verse 5. His favor lasts a lifetime, but his anger lasts only a moment. You see those those contrast things. You also see the, the moment about how weeping is mentioned in verse 5. But there is rejoicing that can happen. And that rejoice can come through, well, ultimately, it comes through God and through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who has brought that rejoicing to us. Now, this psalm is connected uh, with David, and it's also connected with the temple. And, and all of that is, is very fitting because the temple is where people would come in contact with God. And David was the one through whom uh, the, the, uh, the king of kings was going to come. David was a wonderful king, but King Jesus was even better, is even better. And you see that all coming together in this psalm. Notice about uh, turning the wailing or mourning into dancing, verse 11. Um, that, that's a beautiful picture to think about because, you know, somebody who is mourning is very different than someone who is dancing. And then someone who's clothed in sackcloth, even though we don't do that very often, but, you know, we, we get the concept, I think. Somebody who is in mourning, being able to be clothed with with joyful things. There's a huge difference in those. And it ultimately comes down to praising the Lord forever. This is the type of transformation that happens whenever we are in the presence of God or whenever we encounter the presence of God. Now, for the Jews in the Old Testament, they encountered the presence of God whenever they entered into the temple. But in the New Testament, we find encountering the presence of God might look a little different than what it did in times past. Let's look at one time when one individual, one well-known individual, encountered God and how it was transformational to his entire life. To this, we're going to turn to the book of Acts. By the way, the book of Acts is a wonderful book of transformation. We see that, you know, sometimes it's even called the Acts of the Apostles. That's a bit of a misnomer. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through some of the Apostles. And we see him doing great things, wonderful things. And we see the Holy Spirit doing wonderful things in the church, even whenever persecution arises. Because by the time you get to Acts chapter 9, we actually see that the church is growing in, in huge numbers. I mean, thousands of, of different people have become Christians. So the church is growing, but at the same time, there is opposition. There is some difficulties. Acts chapter 9. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Like I said, the church is growing by the time you get to Acts chapter 9. But all the while, this is taking place. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This is where this persecution that Saul was willing to, to put himself in with the church uh, happened. Now, there was growth in the church without a doubt. Okay, the church does grow during difficult times, but we see right here that through that growth, there is still trouble. There are still those who are completely against everything that Jesus stands for, and Saul was one of those individuals. However, as we keep reading, and you perhaps already know the story, but as you read about the life of Paul in this encounter in Acts chapter 9, he comes face to face, so to speak, with Jesus and his life is has the potential to change and he has that option whether or not he is going to listen to the Lord whether or not he is going to follow the Lord now he is very much trying to follow the Lord at this point he thinks he's doing exactly what he should be and you know what if 
if these followers of Jesus, if these Christians, us Christians, if Jesus really wasn't who he claimed to be, if Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, then Saul was completely justified in what he was doing. Now, we might not go about it so dramatically as what he did, but he was justified in it in the sense of he was trying to get rid of this, what he thought, thought was paganism that had come into the people of God. However, what he didn't recognize is God had come among the people of God and he had changed things. In Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 9, let's keep reading this story. As he neared Damascus, speaking about Paul uh, or Saul, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul there uh, stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So this is how his encounter with our Lord comes. Now we learn several things about this though, because he hears this voice, which I mean, this whole thing about the light, the voice, everything, it is getting Saul's attention. And perhaps this is seemingly at least, this is exactly what Saul needed in order to get his attention to become a follower of Jesus. Because I mean, he hadn't even paused long enough to even see whether or not, okay, is Jesus actually real? Was he really who he claimed to be? He hears this statement in verse four. Why do you persecute me? Who's, who's speaking? You know, he wants to know that. He says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, was, let, me, let me ask you this. Was Saul persecuting Jesus? Now, as far as I know, we have no record whatsoever in scriptures that Saul was actually persecuting Jesus you know, the, in his, in his body, uh, of the flesh. That's not what we're looking at here. That's not what's being stated. What is being stated is that whenever the church is being persecuted, which that's who Saul is after those who belong to the way, those who are following the way of Jesus, the church, he's persecuting the church. And because of that, we see that Jesus says, you're persecuting me. When someone persecutes the church or whenever they do an action against the church, they are doing that very action against Christ. That's so powerful and so so important to notice because Jesus is, it's been stated by, by preachers for, well, since the beginning really, that Jesus is the head of the church. And whenever the head, uh, whenever the body is suffering, the head knows about it. And the head is also being persecuted. Jesus being the head of the church, this body of Christ, he is being persecuted. And he's doing something to stop Saul in his tracks. In fact, Saul is the one who's so powerful at the beginning of this story, but now he's the one who is helpless. I mean, people have to help him literally to even just pick him up off the ground and carry him, you know, or, or lead him by the hand to Damascus. <laughs> Do you understand how humbling of an experience that would be for him? Well, it is a humbling experience for him, but it's also one that, that needed to take place. We also notice one of the, the statements that Jesus makes to him in verse six is that he tells him to get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Uh, okay, think about this. Couldn't Jesus have just told him right then and there exactly what he needed to do? Yeah, he could have. 
But that's not actually the way that Jesus works. And I love pointing this out throughout the book of Acts because this is not the only story that we see this, but, but God, Jesus in this case, he always wants to use, you know, he doesn't just do it all on his own. He wants to use us as humans. In fact, he uses us as humans because we are the ones who are told to proclaim this message. Jesus doesn't proclaim everything that Saul needs to hear. No, Saul needs to go hear it from a follower of Jesus. So whenever he goes into Damascus, he is going to hear from a follower named Ananias, who honestly, we don't really have a whole lot about him, but he appears right here, and he is the one who is given the task to, um, well, preach the good news, the gospel message, to Saul. Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 16 now. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their, king, and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So here in this, this passage, we see that Ananias is the answer to how Jesus is going um, to, to, well, he told, Jesus told Saul, I'll get this right in a moment. Jesus told Saul that you will be told what you must do. Ananias is the one who is going to tell him what he must do. But you know, Ananias also has to be told to tell him. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing that is going on right here. And, and God chooses to work through visions. He actually gives apparently Saul a vision and we see that he gives Ananias a vision. So both of them receive a vision about what they need to do to set up this divine appointment, this meeting that is going to take place. God wants it to take place. You think maybe there was ever any meeting that you have ever had with an individual that it was something that God kind of set it up to where things would happen on your end and their end so that you would meet and the gospel would be proclaimed? That's exactly what we see here in Ananias. How many Saul's have slipped through because people like Ananias perhaps wouldn't just follow uh, what the Lord was, was leading them in or some direction that the Lord was leading them? It's an interesting thought to think about. Can we be like Ananias? And, and you know, right here, uh, even what Ananias first starts off with is he almost kind of tries to talk the Lord out of it. He says, um, Lord, verse 13, he says, you know, I've heard about this Saul guy and he's kind of a bad dude. He's a bad guy, isn't he? Well, that's what he looks like. That's what he sounds like. That's how the information that has come to Ananias all points to but God has plans God calls him a chosen instrument in verse 15 God has much bigger plans than what uh, Ananias is so now even after Ananias questions God on this he's given the task is he going to listen to the Lord I've kind of already hinted at it he does but you know whenever the Lord tells us to do things and he tells us through, you know, through the scriptures to do many things. Are we going to listen to the Lord or not? We have that option, just like Ananias did. 
Well, let's see. I've already said Ananias listens to him, but let's see what continues to happen. Verses 17 through 19 now. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eye and he could, eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. So here in this passage, we see, yes, okay, Ananias listened to the Lord. And whenever Ananias went to Saul, he did do all of these things. In fact, the message that he proclaimed to him and what he what he told him, and we get, I believe, a summary statement right here. But there's no doubt about it. It's the Lord Jesus who's working in, in everybody's life. And he tells him what he has to do is um, he's going to be able to, be, um, to see again in verse 17. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of those things happen to him. Because in verse 18, we see these scales fall from his eyes. I don't know what that would have looked like. It would have been something to see, definitely. But after that, he was able to see, and he immediately gets up, and he's baptized. And he takes some food, and he regains his strength. That's, that's his, his message right here. This is the call of Saul, if you want to look at it like this. You know, I sometimes I, I've read some different commentaries about this, and um, people say it's, it's kind of odd to think about this as a, as a conversion story. But yet, I mean, in all honesty, that, that's exactly what it is. This is a conversion story about Saul. He is being converted to following the way of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that he has to change everything about his past, but everything that is opposed to Jesus, he has to change because Jesus is the one through whom God is working during this time. And we see that he's willing to make those changes. He's willing to have his eyes opened up. And one of the first things he does is to get baptized. That baptism, as even the Apostle Paul himself, who Saul is going to later become known by, he says he, he speaks about being baptized. Um, whenever, you know what, I'm just going to open up my Bible and I'm just gonna, going to uh, find the passage in which he, he uh, states it there. It's in Romans chapter 6, and whenever Paul speaks about baptism, he, he's reminding the Romans about what it meant to be baptized. And he says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's what it means that he was baptized. That's what he was willing to do. He was willing to start over new in following Jesus. He took some food, regained his strength, and he spent some time there in Damascus with the disciples. What did he do during that time? Well, I'm glad you asked. Maybe you didn't ask, but the Holy Spirit has recorded that for us in the following verses. When you look at Acts chapter 9, this time verses 20 through 22, we read this about Saul. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So what did Saul do? He got busy listening to the Lord, understanding this gospel message and boldly proclaiming it. Uh, it's stated in verse 20 that he 
was preaching this message that Jesus is the Son of God. He was preaching that, okay? He was also um, proving in scriptures, verse 22, that Jesus is the Messiah. Those things, both of those, you know, we might look at that as kind of the same thing. It's actually a little bit different, but Jesus was all that. He was the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He's all these great and wonderful things that the Jews had been expecting for thousands of years. And he came. And many of the Jews, they didn't see it because they were blinded. Well, Saul, he was quite literally blinded, but his eyes were open because of what the Lord uh, saw fit to open his eyes to allow him to see the truth. And after he saw the truth, he decided to listen to the Lord. What about us? Can, can we learn from this example of Saul? Can we learn about the things that, that we, we see here uh, about Jesus and about our God? And how we as humans, God wants to work with us to bring about the changing power of the gospel. Will we allow ourselves to be used so that we can work with God to boldly proclaim this gospel message that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. We have this wonderful message, this good news about Jesus. We need to make sure that we boldly proclaim it to those we come in contact with. God, can you hear? Can you hear? Can you hear me? God, can you hear me now? God, can you hear? Can you hear? Can you hear me? I cry to you with all my power. Through the veil of Jesus' flesh, from this valley strewn with tears, I can climb up to the mountain of the Father. For he lives to hear the pleas from his children, worn and weak, as they come into his presence with their praise. God, can you hear? Can you hear? Can you hear me? God, can you hear me now? God, can you hear? Can you hear? Can you hear me? I cry to you with all my power. I can pray in Jesus' name for my will to be the same. For the Father wants to mold me in His image. For He knows what's best for me. If I'm bound or if I'm free, I can come into His presence with my praise. God, can you hear? Can you hear? Can you hear me? God, can you hear me now? I know that God, you will hear, you will hear, you will hear.